Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. Back at you here after a couple week hiatus, kind of unintentional. Uh, last week we had to uh, push everything off because our good friend Coyote Chris Sutton had passed away. So we had to push the Edge of the Rabbit Hole show back. We ended up driving out to Illinois to pay our respects. So last week was canceled. And then the week before, uh, we did a, uh, a class earlier in the week because we were out at Michigan Paracon. So this is really our first class back here in about two weeks. So uh, great to see everybody this evening. We're going to be talking about giants tonight, giants specifically in Alaska, although we'll we'll expand outside the, the boundaries there a little bit. And so uh, it's it's part of my research for the Alaska Triangle. Again, season two premieres this coming Friday, September 10th, 10 o'clock p.m. So set your DVR, whatever it is you do. It's all different these days. I can't even keep keep track of um, of how it gets recorded and uh, or stream. You could just stream. You could buy the season, whatever. It's, it's premiering this week. At least it's supposed to be, unless it gets pushed back like it did in 2019 but <laughs> i digress all right so giants in alaska yeah this is part of my research for the upcoming book uh alaska's mysterious triangle which of course piggybacking off the the show and i did ask the question let me bring that up here uh, i forgot to make a slide for it okay but the question was what's the biggest mystery concerning giants you'd like to see answered so we did get a couple last minute here, which is great. And then Tom, I almost didn't see Tom's, even though it's right on the thread. My feed didn't refresh for whatever reason properly. But we'll start with Tom's here. Tom McNicholas, does the term giant refer to a physical condition or symbol of statue, uh, statue of power? So we're talking about sheer size. So, yeah, I mean, there are people that are like, you know, have like giant personalities or, you know, they're, they have that leadership quality that uh, makes them a giant power in that way. But we're talking about sheer size, uh, people that are extremely tall and large. So kind of piggybacking on that, Nicole asks, uh, what qualifies as a giant? How tall were these beings? So uh, I did kind of a quick search on that. What um, you know, kind of what we classify as a giant these days. And so we're talking like sec about seven feet or taller. Now, many, many years ago, somebody like six and a half feet taller or whatever to somebody who's, you know, four and a half feet, that they'd probably be considered a giant. Um, yeah, George Washington was, con he wasn't considered a giant, but he was considered, you know, extremely tall. He was all, they said that he was always the tallest man in the room. He was a very large, imposing figure, not quite a giant, but he would have been giant-like to uh, people uh, of his time. So uh, tallest person that we have on record, Robert Wadlow, eight feet, 11 inches. Nicole and I were just out that way uh, this past weekend when uh we went to pay our respects to uh, Coyote Chris Sutton. We actually uh, saw his grave there at the cemetery, and I meant to show Nicole, and I forgot to point it out. We were right there in Mineral Springs, uh, but there is one of at least two that I know of life-size statues of Robert Wadlow that's there in Mineral Springs. The other's at the college. So, um, all right. 
the uh, another question here from Nicole, David, and Goliath. This is kind of uh, interesting. Was there a tribe of giants around there? Did Goliath have brothers and sisters? Well, it's interesting about that. We don't know if Goliath had brothers and sisters, um, but he may have been descended. And you think about the area that he was in. We're talking biblical times. Um, he may have been descended from the Nephilim. Maybe he had some of that Nephilim blood within him. You know, the, the watchers interbreeding with um, the quote-unquote daughters of men, basically, you know, human women, and creating these uh, giant uh, human beings. So uh, he may have been descended from them. We don't know for sure. And then Sarah, this one kind of sneaked in right at the end, uh, where is the biological evidence? It's kind of the big question here when it comes to giants. Where's the where's the physical evidence for it? And we, because we see a lot of accounts, we hear stories. We're going to get into some of those stories uh, this evening. Uh, we see newspaper accounts of you know, these large, massive bones being found. I have an entire book here. Uh, Giants on Record, Jim Vieira and Hugh Newman. Hugh Newman was also on the uh, Alaska Triangle with us. That dives into all of those accounts. Great book. So where did they go? Now, there's a lot of people that talk about you know the Smithsonian conspiracy theory and, uh, and what have you. And it does... Now, back then, we're talking late 1800s, the curator of the uh, Smithsonian did have this belief that anything pre-Columbian, so anything pre-Christopher Columbus discovering America, was heathen, you threw it out. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, you have a guy that's in charge of a history museum, and that's a really, really poor way to represent history. Uh, but, you know, religion got in the way. So there's a lot of speculation that those bones were uh, destroyed or they're hiding there in the Smithsonian. A lot of people demonize current uh, curators and people who work at the Smithsonian, which I think is, uh, there, there's some injustice there because those people came into the, into the fold long after the fact. Uh, but we do see some evidence. We're going to get into it, uh, as we go down this journey of larger human beings that we are seeing in the fossil record. So we will get into that. All right, so let's dive into giants and more secrets of the Alaska Triangle. So we will get into some other aspects of the Alaska Triangle as well. Uh, this is the giant section because it's my recent research here for the book. <laughs> so it's like as I'm finding out this information and discovering it and kind of working it into uh, my book, here you go. Um and Tom, I'm going to answer that one at the end of the show. Did you film or record anything for the Alaska Triangle? So I will be answering that uh, toward the end of the show when we get like specifically on the television show uh, that's coming up here. So, all right, let's get into the slides here. Giants in Alaska. All right. So during my research here, because I did want to, well, here's, here's the story. Um, been, of course, doing a lot of research for the book, but I was actually listening to the audio version of this book here, Our Haunted Planet by John Keel. Book goes back to 1971, but 
a lot of interesting information in there and where you see uh, you know, some of these ideas about uh, lost civilizations in ancient history that it's, you, know, you see like a lot of the ancient alien guys and, uh, you know, or like Graham Hancock is a big, big proponent for lost civilizations talking about this now. So we kind of think it's like almost a newer type of concept. Kiel was talking about it in 1971. Another person back then was talking about it was Eric von Daniken, uh, who he references a couple of times in there. But there was this one-liner in there uh, where he was talking about Eskimos having a story in which they were flown to the Arctic Circle. Now, this is kind of a UFO reference, and it's a one-liner. So, all right, that piques my interest. I'm going to check this out, of course, because... You know, I have a pretty extensive section on UFO activity in Alaska within the book. We covered uh, a number of those stories last week, or well, I guess two weeks ago. So, all right, let's go ahead and look this up. And so I came across, uh, in that search for that, all these interesting stories about giants. And it's, you know, it's kind of perplexing. How in the world do I come across stories about giants while I'm searching for UFO stuff? But it it happens, you know, <laughs> as you're uh, trying to seek things out. And so I came across uh, this interesting document. Uh, and it's a handwritten document from 1937 by Michael Francis Kazingduk, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So uh, he has an anglicized first and middle name, uh, but he has the, uh, the native Alaskan last name there. And what he did in 1937 is he began writing out by hand, took 500 pages to write this out, of his peoples, Inuit, uh, or we, it's, I have to be careful here. So this is, the work is called The Eskimo History Story. These days, they don't like to be called Eskimo. They like to be called Inuit. Eskimo is a term that um, colonists assigned them. It's not, you know, a derogatory term like you see, you know, some words like uh, Anasazi was supposed to be a, a derogatory term that the Navajo used against the Hopi. Uh, so we're not talking something like that. Uh, it's just a name that they gave them, but the Inuit are like, well, that's not really our name. So these days, more and more, you know, we refer to them as, uh, you know, the Inuit peoples. But back then, everybody knew them as Eskimo, so he wrote it as the Eskimo history story. And he basically, again, it's like 500 pages handwritten on a legal pad of history, stories, culture, um, all different, you know, things about their, uh, their people. And right in there, just like about 14 pages in, he starts talking about giants. He has stories in there about dwarves, all kinds of, of interesting tales. And so I'm focused here, of course, on, on the giants right now. And it's a bit of broken English, and I'm going to read some of this here. And uh, the sample here, those that are watching the presentation, 
uh, you'll you see this here in front of you, and the page on the right hand side is is part of what I'm going to to read. Those that are listening to the podcast later, or uh, or on the syndicated editions on uh, KGRA Radio or KPNL, um, I apologize that you're not going to see these slides. But if you want to and you want to join in on the discussion, ask the questions and, and all of that fun stuff, because this is an interactive class, come join us at the Connected Universe Portal. It's connecteduniverseportal.com. 30-day free trial. Sign up. Join us uh, here for the interactive class and plus all the additional content that's out there on the site, which, uh, you know, that includes, of course, these classes, but uh, you get... Uh, a lot of stuff. You, you get the uh, monthly Q&A videos, you get the behind the scenes videos, you get access to all of the uh, Egypt material uh, that's out there, which is like 10 and a half hours worth of, of video. Um, you know, a ton of stuff, ton of articles that are out there. I'm putting more out there, by the way, too. I have them all uploaded. I just need to uh, format and they'll be done. But uh, come join us. In any case, I'm going to read you some of this material here. So what he tells us is, and there were giants born by human beings, two in the Bering Sea coast at Siberia, one in Indian Point Village. His name was, I'm gonna butcher some of these names, Enkatakana, 10 feet. So in other words, like 10 feet tall. He got killed in Big Diomede Island by good man Ayakak. There are more than, uh, there are more than 10 feet height, those giants and one in Yang Range, Siberian coast. His name was Nankis Khan. This giant has six slave servants, young and strong Chukchis men. He was a cruel to so many of his neighbors in around the coast. Finally, he got killed by his slave servants. And six were giants or more in around the Alaska. These brothers, giants in Buckland, Alaska. Oldish, was, oldish one was his name, Kwapyukuk. Younger one, his name was Elakunik. Third younger one, his name was Pilak. Later, them two oldest giant brothers killed this younger brother, Pilak, because he was wicked and desperado about the human being peoples. When this happened is over, those two brothers were beginning to hunt and killed kind of useless bad wild animals in wild games. Killed as many they could found there in the sea and in the land, so that those human beings won't fear of them. Also, two more giants there were around in the Port Clarence, Alaska. First one, his name was Oxysukok. He lived around in Cape Douglas, and his cousin, his name was Plita Kalawak. He lived around Old Mary's Igloo, Alaska. Both of them was great helpful to human being people. Also, one giant was in the St. Lawrence Island. He was keep helping to his people around there in his time. Those giants raise no children because they have no female of their own to raise some children and to make their own populations in race. So yes, very, very broken English, kind of hard to understand a lot of it. I, under, I get that. Uh, but you see an interesting picture that's being painted here in Giants, yes, throughout Alaska, some coming from Siberia, and we're going to 
get into that here in just a moment. And then you also see these giants that can't, they, they don't have any giant women to carry on their race. And so they're having to procreate with the human women. And so we kind of touched on that a little bit earlier when Nicole had asked the question about Goliath. And of course, we see there in in the Bible when we talk about uh, the Nephilim, just, you know, Genesis 6-4, uh, the Nephilim, in some translations, giants, were on the earth those days. Uh, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. On uh, first Enoch, the book of Enoch, we see they have gone into the daughters of men of earth and have lain with them and have defiled themselves with the women. And now look, the daughters of men have borne sons from them, giants, half-breeds. It's kind of interesting to me that uh, in First Enoch, the word born is used, and that's also uh, the same word that uh, Kazanuk used in his handwritten notes. Uh, but you know, we see this idea here that uh, these giant peoples uh, had to procreate with human women and and create you know other other giants and so we had James Keenan on the edge of the rabbit hole show last night he's been doing a lot of work there at uh, Skinwalker Ranch uh, uh, Blind Frog Ranch basically the Uinta Basin in Utah and he's been finding evidence of giants in that area he thinks uh, many of them originated from there but again the same type of story that for whatever reason. Um, you know, they, they couldn't find or didn't have uh, women of their own kind to procreate with, so they ended up sleeping with the the human women. I almost kind of think of like, um, you know, think of like Lord of the Rings and the Ents, you know, Treebeard, where they, they lost the Ent wives. So he was like, yeah, well, we haven't had Entings in, you know, many, many uh, years because we lost the int wives, you know, the, the women disappeared on them. Uh, so you see it's Tolkien basically taking this idea of the giants and incorporating that into, into the trees. So I always find those, those parallels uh, pretty fascinating. So, so where did these giants uh, come from? So in this account, you know, we see you know, this uh, connection to Siberia. And we have here, of course, the uh, the Bering Land Bridge. Uh, and you see a direct connection there, Siberia to Alaska. You just, uh, you know, basically during the Ice Age, the, uh, the waters, the seas would have receded because it was all, you know, locked up in the ice. And so that created a way for people in Asia to just walk across, maybe follow the animals, and come over into Alaska. Now, that has been the theory for you know, a long, long time, I mean, basically like 100 years, when they started finding um, you know, some different uh, artifacts and evidence uh, about a, you know, 100 years ago now uh, to, to point to that. And so... Uh, you know, there was a certain culture known as the Clovis culture because they found evidence in a place called Clovis, uh, New Mexico, that uh, pitted a certain culture around that point in time. And that actually, uh, of course, came after 
the the people would have crossed the the land bridge. Now, what's interesting about that? Um, actually, we'll get back to that here in a moment because I want to stay in Siberia here for a moment. So, okay, you have these connections: Siberia and Alaska. Uh, so, where are we going with this? Well, what's interesting. And it goes back to, uh, not Nicole's, but Sarah's question earlier, where is the biological evidence? There you go. That is a massive jawbone. What is this jawbone? It's a Denisovan jawbone, a humanoid being um, from thousands and thousands of years ago. We're talking... Uh, tens of thousands of years ago. Let me get the number here. I want to make sure we have it right. Um, we're, we're talking around 75,000 years ago. What's interesting about this, when they first found this, this was actually found in Tibet. There are other uh, Denisovan remains found in Siberia. Uh, they originally mistook this for a bear. It's that big. They thought it was actually a bear jawbone with the teeth because that's how big the uh, the teeth are, but they're not. They are, I will say, well, a hominin, a hominin. Uh, so basically a human type of being, bipedal person. Uh, they, they interbred with Neanderthals, uh, so we've, we've seen uh, some of that within the, the DNA. But these peoples are... Are much larger, so the but the problem is we only have small pieces of them, like um, like a knuckle bone found in Siberia, uh, you know, of a, of a young girl. Again, seventy five thousand years old, uh, much larger features, much larger type person, and so it almost seems like if if they weren't giants, you know, they were pretty close to being. Uh, giants, you know, we, we, we want that smoking gun, right? We want to have the full skeleton. And in many cases, it seems like if you read the reports, we have had that in America. But all that got hidden. Here we are in Russia in Tibet, and we're finding these scant pieces, and we want we want more of that to be able to uh, say, okay, here are the giants of old, and you know there there are some I'll give it some prudent points made about it that hey you know if if our descendants thousands of years from now came across the remains you know, one single remain of a human being and it happened to be uh, you know, somebody that played in the NBA, you know, how is that just, how does that describe the whole rest of, you know, humanity today? That's not your average person. So, and that, it's a good point, but, um, and that's why we need to find more of the remains so that we know that this isn't one, you know, single person but we are I mean we already have a couple of different remains and they do seem larger we just we need more of it 
So just to show you where this is the uh, Denisovan cave in Siberia. Uh, looking at this, it kind of looks to me like the uh, like the cave from the show Dark that was on uh, Netflix. And it's a, a time travel show. We're going to get into time travel here in a little while. Uh, beautiful area, though. This is the view from the cave looking outward. So you know, that may not be what it looked like 75,000 years ago, but it's what it looks like now. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Tom, Tom, maybe it must have been painful experience for those women. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to go there, but I suppose it could have been. Uh, to give you an idea of where the remains are have been found of the Denisovans, so... Uh, you see here on the map, again, for those watching the uh, or listening to the podcast later or the syndicated show, uh, you're not going to, to see this map. But uh, you can see basically it's in southern Siberia where the Denisovan cave was found. And then, of course, uh, Tibet area of China uh, was the other one. So it doesn't necessarily mean that these large peoples traveled across Siberia into Alaska. I mean, we, we cannot say that definitively. You'd have to find Denisovan remains in Alaska or even within the DNA of, uh, of Native Alaskans if, if they had interbred like that. So there would be additional research that would have to be done there. So if... If they didn't necessarily cross over the land bridge, what are some of the other ways that they could have gotten there? Because one of the, I started mentioning, started going down that road earlier of, of the Clovis culture. There was for decades this longstanding belief that the Clovis culture was the first in America. That basically what happened was they crossed over the land bridge. They basically got stuck up there for a while until global warming happened. Yeah, global, global warming uh 14,000 years ago, uh, 14,100 years ago, thereabouts, global warming took place, melted uh, the ice sheets up there to allow passage into uh, the southern part of America, and they started to, to spread out. And 700 years later, you had this Clovis culture that developed and lasted for a couple thousand years, and they were gone. But they would have been the progenitors for the uh, the Native American cultures are around the continent. Problem is, in the 1970s, there was a site discovered in South America um, that was about 18,000 years old. And so if your theory is that the crossover the land bridge got stuck up there until uh, 14,000 years ago, how does this other culture develop in South America 18,000 years ago, you know, preceding it by 4,000 years. The math doesn't make sense. So, of course, that was criticized for a long, long time until there was another site in the 1990s. Actually, there are a couple of sites, one in Pennsylvania um, that dated 19,000 years, and then there was one in the uh, in the Yukon area of, and I, I didn't grab the other photo, did I? Oh, there it is. Okay. In the Yukon area of, uh, 
it's just on the edge of the Alaska Triangle. So we're getting back to the Alaska Triangle here. That goes back 24,000 years ago. Uh, here's the, the excavation of it. But beautiful area. And uh, yeah, human uh, evidence of human activity up there 24,000 years ago. So we're going to come back to that in a little bit because there is even a bigger smoking gun that was recently, well, the site was discovered in 1992. They didn't release their findings here until 2017. So, you know, 25 years, they kind of sat on it um, doing the research, put in, you know, putting together uh, their findings uh, in Southern California. Uh, outside, just outside of San Diego, as they're putting in a state route, they uncovered mastodon bones with human bones. So they have ha mastodon remains with human remains, and also uh, there's other uh, indications of, of human activity uh, right there in that area, dating back 130,000 years. That blows everything else out of the water. So the idea of the Americas being populated by peoples coming down through the land bridge is annihilated. So where did these people come from 130,000 years ago? Well, what's interesting is there are uh, Native American cultures that do talk about their ancestors long, long ago coming across the waters and landing here. Um, you know, not all of them, but some of them do do talk about that, where um, it, it's kind of almost the Great Flood stories. Now, 130,000 years would predate the Great Flood, um, you know, but, it's, but it's interesting that you have these stories that kind of permeate all throughout world history. Well, let's take a look at where the site is. So here's, you know, some of the... Uh, the evidence of the humans and mastodons being together here in Southern California. And this is basically right in the San Diego area. So if, if somebody traveled across that ocean, traveled across that water, you can see right from there is a great, great location to spread out. You could go north, you could go east, you could go south, because it's kind of right in the middle of the continent. And you can spread in any which direction if that was your your landing spot um, and then you know the other sites around the continent are i mean they're they're a little bit younger so it would be interesting to, if we come across some uh, another site that's even older than that and where that would be located but to me just looking at this it's okay you know they could have landed there they could have spread out um, so why would some of these people be attracted to go northward because as you go northward things get colder and they get colder and they get colder you know we see okay I, you know sure I, I totally buy into that some people crossed the land bridge landed there in Alaska uh, you have the stories of like the the Alaska Bushmen so you know the uh, the Alaska Bushmen or the Tornets um, you have these legends as well, so a little bit different than the ones we were talking about earlier, but let me read this for you real quick. Uh, 
In early times, the Tornit, a race of very large people, inhabited the country. They quarreled with the Eskimo because the latter intruded upon their land. This made the Tornit angry, who broke the ground with their lances and spears and split rocks into pieces. It is believed that the Tornit and Ijoquan, both races of giants, inhabit the interior. So, according to this account, this is from 1901, uh, the Bulletin of the American Museum of Natural History, in volume 15. So, this is an account from uh, over 100 years ago. Again, story passed down, uh, and it's believed that you know some still exist in the interior, and uh, that's something we've briefly talked about a little bit. Victoria uh, Monday was uh, last night talking about you know woolly mammoths. Some of the woolly mammoths uh, still exist. You know that was something that we touched on season one of the Alaska Triangle. Was is it, is it possible that there are small pockets of woolly mammoths that still exist out there? And when you talk about, you know, are there still small pockets of these taller uh, human people still around? Well, kind of first thing that comes to mind, I guess, for a lot of people are, you know, are they are they Sasquatch? Not really going to get into Sasquatch here. I will cover Sasquatch in the book. I mean, there's a lot of different uh, stories of Sasquatch in Alaska, uh, the hairy man, you know, things like that. Um, so, but those are a different type of primate where when we talk giants, we're talking more, more humanoid, uh, that, that are much, much closer or almost just bigger humans themselves. There's, there are some differences, uh, certainly in, in the DNA, but we're not talking, uh, Sasquatch is just a different, a different type of primate. So we're not going there. Um. But you have these other stories of larger humans. So when it comes down to it, we don't know for sure who these people's who these people were, where exactly they came from. We're trying to put the pieces together. So yeah, they could have crossed the land bridge. They could have 130,000 years ago. It would have been longer than 130,000 years ago. They could have come across the water, landed, uh, and and fanned out, and eventually made their way north. Uh, you see some of the you know like larger red-headed beings, like the you know, we've seen the elongated Paracas skulls, um, that are very different than uh, than humans. So you know who were those? Are those related to some of these giants? Because we hear stories from. Uh, you know, from the American Southwest about the red-headed giants that lived in a cave that were you know, eventually exterminated. It was right around the area that we were just talking about with, uh, with James Keenan, where he believed a, a lot of those giants originated from there. But I did ask the question, why would they be attracted to going north? Well, does it have something to do with the the energy up there is one of the big things that we talked about last week. We spent a lot of time on the energy in Alaska last week. Is there something attractive to that? That some innate I don't know, feeling. I mean, we we know about with birds and other animals that they they migrate and they use that uh, the electromagnetic frequency 
you know, with the with the magnetite that's you know, a little bit in their their brain to you know for their guidance to to move around, migrate. They know when the seasons are coming and going, and they do that back and forth. We have a little bit of that in in our brains too. So you know, we wouldn't know the genetic composition. Would there have been something that would have drawn them there to that energy uh, up north? So good question. So I mentioned earlier the the cave in in Yukon. Which that is such a beautiful view. <laughs> and this is this is right on the edge of the Alaska Triangle. And I say the edge, but and we discussed it uh, last time too, that it's it's not a perfect triangle. It's it, it's more like a blob, really. Uh, it's it's more like a, a circle. But we we choose three points. Basically what happens when the Bermuda Triangle occurred uh, or was kind of discovered in the uh, in the 1940s it was a cool name to assign it okay let's pick three points in the area that becomes our triangle but it expands out from there it's not a perfect triangle so you could say right in the edge of the alaska triangle uh or it could just barely be within it what have you but in any case something that's interesting about the yukon area there now the Yukon area is where we talked about it last week. It's the very first episode of season one of the Alaska Triangle, the missing Douglas airplane. Went down right around the area of Snag in the Yukon Territory. Snag is the, the name of the town. Just disappeared into thin air. Uh, we have a, uh, we speculate a lot about possibly disappearing into a portal. I'm not going to get into all that again uh, this episode. Go ahead and uh, listen to last class or watch last class or, or whichever. So there's certainly something going on in that area. Now, this is a little strange. So we're going to talk about time travel a little bit. So this is an interesting photo uh, from the Yukon area during the gold rush, children helping to pan for gold. Now, the girl down here in the forefront, and I forgot my little uh, celebrity look-alike side-by-side photo, but a lot of people, this was discovered, it was posted on, the, uh, the name of the museum escapes me at the, at the moment, but it was basically found in an uh, online museum uh, photo archive. And a lot of people saw that, and so they're like, "That looks like Greta Thunberg, the uh, the Swedish uh, ecological activist, uh, young girl." And so, a lot of people started saying that she had time traveled back into uh, the 1800s, and this photo was taken of her. Now, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a cool little photo. Uh, we don't know if she time traveled or not. She's never confirmed nor denied it. But this is an area with suspected portal activity. What's actually interesting to me, when you look at this photo, what is behind her on the left-hand side? I mean, I I, I don't think it's a dog. I, I don't know who or what that is, but you can distinctly see a face in, I don't know. Because it's blurry, maybe that's our Sasquatch photo. 
<laughs> a little blurry back there and somebody or something strange for for sure uh yeah yeah sarah greta thurnberg yep so that said not too far from there uh is this other photo from 1943 41 or 43 somewhere early 1940s but this is the time traveling hipster photo that looks like johnny enoch so i i i bust johnny's chops about this uh, and johnny's on the alaska triangle with us but you got these wraparound sunglasses he's got a, a silkscreen t-shirt it looks like uh, he's holding a, a small portable camera that that would have just been coming out. Um, so he's he's wearing stuff here that's just kind of out of place, out of time uh, for somebody at that time in that era. Uh, so he's been dubbed the, the time-traveling hipster. These are some more fun things uh, to kind of discuss and talk about. But is there an energy there? within the region of the Alaska Triangle that you know, caused the airplane to go missing, that could be causing some weird uh, you know, time-traveling episodes that would have drawn uh, these peoples up there into a very cold region. What was it that they, that they wanted, that they, they had to have going all that ways up north? Um, something. There is certainly something. And it could even be this. Now this, we're going to get into uh, season two here uh, real quick. I want to get uh, some of these questions here that you guys have. Um, so like Tom here, other than their large size, were they considered deformed as well? I mean, the remains that were found um just seem to be larger in size now we're that would be from like uh, you know hundreds of newspaper reports that you'll find in a book like this johnson record or if you're looking at the um the denisovans i mean you're talking a scant couple of bones there weren't there weren't any, anything necessarily wrong with those uh bones that they found other than the fact that they were so much bigger and the question how long did they live well the uh, the one set of remains was it was a younger girl i think they said that she was like 13 or 14 years old something like that so not too old uh at least as far as she's concerned uh the other was an adult and i can't remember the exact age of that that's for the denisovans now as far as like the giants when we talk when we talk about some of these other uh stories when you start getting into um well, like the time of the Nephilim or something like that. The ages back then, according to like the written accounts, and it depends on how much you believe in the ages back then. Um, you know, you're, you're talking hundreds of years for some of these people. An interesting book, Nick Redfern, uh, Immortality of the Gods. And so he kind of gets into the different stories about I mean, it's it's a lot of you know written mythology that that's been passed down through the years. But even if you talk about like Anunnaki, uh, and if you know some of us are descended from them, then these people back then uh, would have lived 
longer if those ages are correct. And over time, uh, that would have been diluted out. Um, all right, so what else did you have here? So Sarah, uh, I wonder what they ate or what they needed to survive. Uh, yeah, I mean, good question. Now, those that were migrating, typically they're following, uh, I mean, they're hunter-gatherers, right, for the, for the most part. So you're talking, and they had spears and things like that. So, you know, they're having to follow the, the animals in whatever, uh, you know, local uh, grains or, uh, you know, berries or whatever, plant life that they would, uh, they, they would eat back then. Um, and, you know, also a good point here, just because giants have a humanoid appearance doesn't exactly mean they were an offshoot of humanity. And that's where the DNA testing uh, comes into play. So they have uh, a number of markers that are very, very similar, but they can't quite place them in the tree. Likewise, they can't quite place us in the tree either because there's no precursor to us as, as homo sapiens. So... Uh, da, 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 da. All right. Um, and here's, uh, I, I don't know who this is, Facebook Facebook user. <laughs> You'll have to hit your settings for, uh, for StreamYard. There's, there's some instruction in there in order to allow StreamYard so that I can see your name. But question is, are Giants and Freddy Silva's book of... The pre-flood times. So, right here next to me, the missing lands. Uh, yes, <laughs> he does talk about giants uh, quite a bit in this book. And what's interesting is uh, there is an island out there in the South Pacific that still is supposed to have giants on there. That they they like to stay hidden, but they are actually helpful to the community. Like um, interesting story that he likes to tell of um, you know somebody had. Uh, basically rolled their car off the road they got out there okay they went back to the town and the next day they gathered some people to help with uh with fixing the car and getting it back up on the road and when they got out there the road was or the the car was already back on the road they attributed that to uh to the giants that that are on the island so, and, oh, I guess that is, uh, the Facebook user is Victoria. Yeah, Victoria. Fix your settings. <laughs> um, and she also asks, are the giants the missing links? Science, uh, scientists just uh, do not want to accept it and change the narrative. That's part of the problem is that at this point, uh, a lot of times they don't want to change the narrative. Sometimes they have no choice, like these these findings of, uh, you know, 130,000 years in Southern California, you're finding humans with, with mastodons. There, I mean, there's nothing to be done for that. You, you know, too many people have seen it. You have to publish it. Um, but other stuff, uh, they're, they're building a highway, so there's, they're not getting out of it. But other things along the way do get hidden, and we, we saw that a lot with um i've mentioned it a few times here now with the bones in america um you know that granted i will say that there are probably some that were some of those stories may have been fabricated but you can't say that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories 
over all those years were com- all of them completely fabricated. Just no, it's not happening. All right. So let's get to our last couple things here um, because I did want to touch on some things from Alaska Triangle Season 2 coming up. And the first one is the Black Pyramid because the, the first episode is Black Pyramid and uh, Volatile Nature. So this is actually not a photo of the Black Pyramid. I'm using it for illustrative purposes. This is actually um, a possible pyramid in, in Antarctica um, or it's just an extremely well-cut mountain (laughs) Uh, because the black pyramid that's going to be discussed um, on Friday night is actually underground uh, which is kind of interesting so it's it's supposed to be underground near Mount McKinley about twice the size of the Great Pyramid It's, it's named the Dark Pyramid or Black Pyramid is supposed to be discovered by geologists who are performing seismic studies of the Earth's crust in that area. Now we're talking um, a couple of decades ago. It is a controversial story because the story only ever aired once. It was on Anchorage's Channel 13. There was no follow-up to the story. No affiliate networks picked it up. Um, it was just a one-and-done it's, it's kind of like it aired and somebody shut them up. So there's been a handful of people over the years that have come forward with some additional information to, to add to the story. Um, there's an idea kind of like with the, with the Giza Pyramid that it was used as a power plant to power the area, including parts of Canada. Uh, this is this is research that uh, Linda Moulton Howe has uh, gone in deep on. I don't know if she's going to be a part of the show. They may have interviewed her for this segment because this is kind of her thing. This is there's information about this on her uh, Earth Files website, um, but she's but she's kind of the one that broke this. And people have come forward over the years to give her uh, additional bits of of information. So um, kind of interesting. So if if that is true, that there was this black pyramid dark pyramid that's underground that was a power plant that could be certainly a reason why um, peoples would want to flock north uh, to be in that area if they had a source of of power like that the other thing that's going to be discussed friday night is volatile nature i don't know exactly in what context (laughs) Uh, because you know we're not we weren't really privy to you know the stories of the show. I mean, basically, when you get interviewed for this stuff, you're you're privy to what they're asking you about. I got asked about all kinds of different topics. So you know, I got asked about UFOs. I got asked about hauntings. I got asked about volatile nature, um, electromagnetism, stuff like that. So all kinds of different stuff. Um, but I expect, and this did get mentioned during season one, the uh, the earthquake in 1964 in Anchorage. Um, yeah, a lot more than just uh, a tremor, and you can see, you know, the the street just completely sinking in. All these, uh, uh, unfortunately, all these businesses uh, in the downtown area uh, fell into the abyss, uh, as well as all these cars. So, uh, you know, it was it was a complete mess. 
uh, massive, massive earthquake. So, you know, definitely very volatile area. Uh, this is, and you can even see here, you know, more uh, along the exterior of, of the city. Uh, you see all these trees are going in every which direction. Uh, the ground is just upheaved. You know, it's, it is a very volatile area. It, it, it's no joke. Um, just recently here, back in July, there was an 8.2 earthquake uh, just off the coast of the Aleutian Islands. They actually issued a tsunami warning. Fortunately, they were okay. There wasn't a, um, there wasn't a tsunami. Uh, but then a week later, there's a couple of uh, volcanoes going off. There's like, there was like two or three different volcanoes started going off. So kind of, you know, chain reaction, boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, just crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, there's Victoria just say at Hollow Earth. I don't have, I don't know what anything I'm talking about right now has to do with Hollow Earth. <laughs> oh, except with the pyramid being underground. Well, they could put it in a very large area. So, you know, we're talking about volcanoes here. So you have your big, uh, uh, lava tubes, you know, they could be large caverns where the molten lava was, you know, and so, you know, I, I don't doubt that there are large gaps like that uh, under the earth. Could some of those be there in Alaska to put a, a pyramid like that? I guess the question for me is, why would you put it underground and not above ground like Giza? Unless, and I do get into this in the book, there's a, there's a period of time about 40,000 years ago, 42,000 years ago, with, when the poles flipped. And it lasted that way. We talked about this uh, last time. And that lasted for about 400 years. And you, th you think about 400 years, you know, when you put it into the context of, oh, it was 40,000 you know, 40, years ago, 400 doesn't sound like a long period of time, but think about 400 years in our lifetimes. What was going on 400 years ago? We've uh, a lot has changed in that time. Uh, so for about 400 years, when the poles flipped like that, and there would have been a significant period of time uh, in which the uh, Earth's magnetic protection would have been weaker which things around the globe would have gotten pretty hot and toasty, and it may have driven people underground for a while. So, Victoria, there's your hollow earth. So would that have been a time when they would have built something like pyramids underground? Possibly, possibly. Something that did survive that earthquake there in 1964 was the historic Anchorage Hotel. Briefly mentioned this uh, location last time. I, br I bring it up again because there was a video clip uh, last time that because we ran over time that I didn't get a chance to show. Uh, very haunted location. There are shadows, uh, uh, shadow entities seen within there, which is kind of where I was trying to wrap in the story. But I do have a video clip here uh, of walking right by it and telling one of the stories. All right, so there we go, the historic Anchorage Hotel. Um, 
Police Chief Jack Sturgis was murdered right out on the street here, uh, just a few steps from the hotel. Uh, so they say that his ghost is still there, uh, haunting it, trying to figure out who his murderer was who shot in the back. Uh, there's also a woman in white that is seen there. She was, uh, she hung herself, and so she is still seen there as well. And a, a little girl who uh, will go from room to room, turning on and off uh, television sets. So uh, quite a few haunts, and it's just a small hotel. All right. So that'll be included in the in the book too. I don't know if they're going to cover that in the show. When I was there in Alaska a couple of years ago, I went in there, talked to them a little bit, and uh, I got their card. I passed it along, but uh, they did not include that hotel in season one. There was there's the uh, really haunted one in Juneau, Alaska. Um, I think it's called the Alaskan Hotel, and uh, that was featured on. Uh, was at Portals to Hell with Katrina Weidman and Jack Osborne. Uh, they went to that one there in that show. And uh, also the Alaska Triangle went to that one. Uh, but the Anchorage Hotel here, uh, they didn't go to that in season one. You never know. They might they might do that in season two. So I, I don't know for sure. So that's kind of going back to Tom's question from earlier. Let's see. Where is it? Did it scroll up? No. Okay. Did you film or record anything for the Alaska Triangle? All right. So this is what happened with season two. COVID happened with season two. So they're very limited with uh, the number of people that they could actually go and interview and try to work in how they were going to do all of that because the production companies from the UK... And they were, of course, very restricted in getting out of the country. So they were able to a little bit and in, in, uh, interview a handful of people. I don't know how many. I know they were able to get out to uh, Johnny Enoch and interview him on a few things. Uh, but for me and for some of the others, they are going to use uh, some of our unused footage from season one so with uh with the volatile nature if they go down the road down the road of the uh you know earthquakes and volcanoes and things like that then they very well could be using some of my footage of when i talked about those things back in may 2019 sitting on the side there of a flat top mountain uh they wouldn't divulge to me exactly uh, you know, all the stories and you know things that they were going to talk about. Because I, I sent an email to to the producer because I'm writing the book. Um, and you know they said, hey, anything that we can do to help you with the book, that'd be great. So I threw some things past him. And all he would tell me, you know, kind of give him this little laundry list. And all he would tell me, uh, would tell me is that, well... You know, a couple of those that you mentioned are included in season two, but he didn't tell me which ones. <laughs> so I was like, okay, great. Uh, so one thing I will say is not in season two that was on the table, but because of COVID got shelved because I did not get interviewed uh, because of COVID is uh, Shadow People in Alaska. We talked about that on our uh, last Connecting the Universe uh, class was shadow people in Alaska. So 
that's not a part of season two because they couldn't get out to to interview me. So fingers crossed season three and uh, we'll talk about uh, shadow people then. So so that's essentially what happened uh, for season two. And uh, from what I understand, it's another 10 episodes. And it starts September 10th, this Friday. All right. So let me see. Uh, well, so could tectonic shifts be responsible? Well, earthquakes, yes. <laughs> earthquakes are def definitely, uh, you know, shifts in tectonic plates. Uh, you get that release of energy. But that's the, that's the thing about that area is that... Um, you have the shifting plates, you have the volcanoes, you have um, the, you know, it's the, the magnetic protection up there is a little thinner. So when that gets nailed by solar flares, you have that energy uh, mixed in as well. That's why there is so much energy up there is you have all these shifting parts and, um, and things like that. So, uh, oh, she was referring to the Black Pyramid. I guess I'm not understanding. Could tectonic shifts be responsible for the Black Pyramid? I'm not quite understanding the question there. But, um, all right. Well, we need to wrap up. And so, um, yeah, Sarah, I would say if you, you kind of want to uh, detail that a little bit more, um, we could take that offline and I'll answer it offline. So, all right, everybody. So that is Giants and more secrets of the Alaska Triangle. Uh, of course, join us next week for Connecting the Universe class. We'll be back on Wednesday again. So we're going to have a couple of weeks in a row here of Wednesdays, which is good. Edge of the Rabbit Hole, we're going to be with uh, Andrea Perrin talking about the Shadow Dimension docuseries and the, the Conjuring House, uh, her old home there. And uh, of course, check out the Alaska Triangle coming this Friday night, as long as they don't move it again. All right, everybody, have a great night. Till next time.